<laughs> I'm just living in the offices now. I don't know if you guys know this. Had you just stored in the back for like a week and just bring you out for the podcast again? I just stole a cubicle. I set up. It's like that Seinfeld episode because I've got like a nice little bed set up in a desk. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm going to pop out at random times and record the podcast with you, Jake. It's you know we're happy to have you. It works for me if you're comfortable. It's it's fine. It's nice for me not have to dial up in Colorado. And I know. Just have you there and be like, hey Tyler, talking to this microphone. This is so efficient. It's it's, it's so much good. easier for me. Yeah, it works. <laughs> it's episode number nine of Minor League Baseball is the show before the show podcast. He's Jake Siner. I am Tyler Mon. Uh, welcome in another uh, fun show we got on tap for you today. Top prospect in the Washington Nationals organization, Lucas Giolito, will join us from somewhere around Woodbridge, Virginia. Road trip last night uh, back from Myrtle Beach after his start yesterday for the Peanuts. So we're going to talk with Lucas. Uh, we're also going to hear from our good pal Benjamin Hill, who was on the road touring through the, the Midwest League and the Pacific Coast League this week. Uh, and we will also hear from Sam Dykstra as well. We had some good stuff on Javier Baez. We're going to talk about the former, one of the top Cubs prospects, not technically a prospect anymore, too many at-bats. But uh, we'll be talking about Sam about Javi Baez's hot start. And uh, as always... You can subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, give us a listen on iTunes. Uh, We are there as Minor League Baseball Podcast. You can also listen to the show right here on MILB.com. And uh, you can follow Jake on Twitter, Jake underscore signer. I'm at Tyler Mon. And with that, we welcome you into the show. Uh, It's been uh, another interesting week with a lot of prospects. We saw some streaks come to a close. We saw some guys make debuts. And we're going to dive right in. First things first with this week's edition of Three Strikes. And Jeff Hoffman is on tap first. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays prospect and... And made his professional debut last week. First-round pick in the 2014 draft out of East Carolina. Uh, Jake, tell us a little bit about Jeff Hoffman and what people can expect. First time out, went five innings. You know, it's a a tough league to just get thrown into, but an advanced college guy. And uh, tell us a little bit about his debut. Yeah, it's interesting that we're talking about Hoffman on the the same day we're talking to Lucas Giolito. Because I think there are some similarities. Giolito was a high school guy who had an elbow injury late in his senior season. Um, it probably was going to be the consensus number one pick, and the elbow injury scared some people off. He fell to the Nationals somewhere in the teens, and the Nationals signed him and let him have the Tommy John shortly thereafter, and now are starting to uh, reap the benefits of that. Giolito's emerged as, as one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, probably the top pitching prospect in baseball. Uh, Hoffman had a very similar path. He was a college guy. He was at ECU um, and really emerged. He went from a guy who was probably a consensus first-round pick. He had a, a good performance on the, the Cape uh, the year before, and then was at East, uh, ECU drawing some Justin Verlander comparisons and was really rising to a lot of the top of a lot of draft boards, um, pitching in the upper 90s. His curveball was getting plus grades. He had a changeup that looked good. The command was good. And then uh, late in the season, it was late in April, he started having some elbow, elbow soreness and uh, in May ended up going under the knife for Tommy John surgery about a month before the draft. So he went from being the consensus number one overall pick to falling to the Blue Jays a little bit later in the draft, went that uh, number 10, I believe. Um, and he's been shelved ever since. We haven't seen him, haven't really heard from him, knew he was going to be coming back at some point. Well, he came back and he made his debut last week with Class A Advanced Dunedin, and he was throwing 99 miles an hour and snapping off some nasty breaking balls. And uh, the results were, were just kind of okay. Ended up going five innings. Uh, he struck out three, gave up four runs in the second inning. I talked to the, uh, the pitching coach at Dunedin, Vince Horseman, and he said that uh, basically Hoffman had just kind of lost control of his fastball and, and some of his stuff a little bit in the second inning. Um, he thought he was... Really, really jacked up, as you could understand, to, to make his debut. And apparently the uh, the ECU baseball team was uh, in Florida in the area. They just played a game earlier that day, so they had all driven over and were in the stands for the game. So that had Hoffman a little extra fired up and, and jacked up. But, uh, yeah, it was sitting 92 to 99, usually at the, the top half of that range throughout the start. Um, said he felt really good. He hasn't had a setback throughout the whole process. 
curveball was not quite consistent as it was in college, but certainly showed some that were as, as good or close to as good as the, the plus or plus plus one he'd snapped in college. And, um, and, and changeup got a little bit of feel of it later in the start, too. Um, he was a guy who came into the year ranked 80th on MLB.com's top prospect list. You have to imagine if he goes out and is throwing 99 miles an hour with a, a plus or plus plus curveball a few times this year, just proves that he's healthy. He's a guy who's going to rocket up that list and give the Blue Jays another big, big upside startup real soon. One of my favorite things about that story is that uh, ECU players bust over. They had a win. They actually won in walk-off fashion, uh, beating UCF, University of Central Florida, in Clearwater, and then they hopped on a bus to go watch their old teammate, which is awesome. And if you're a guy like that, I mean, already you've got competitive juices going, and then you see a whole bunch of your old college teammates show up at the ballpark and be there for you to, to jump in and make your pro debut. That's a pretty cool little storyline to have gotten to you know experience if you're Hoffman or if you're a fan of his. It's, that's a pretty cool little yeah, tie-in. Nice little symmetry there too. I know he was a guy who, uh, you know, he, he was disappointed that he couldn't finish up with the uh, with ECU late last year and to have all of his old teammates there. A bunch of guys obviously he played with last year and, and the coaching staff and even the athletic director had showed up. Nice, uh, nice little way to kind of close that uh, that chapter and now look forward and kind of move ahead with his pro career. All right, uh, moving on to strike two. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Blake Snell. He's a guy we talked about a few times on the podcast already, but a guy we got to talk about again. His inning streak finally came to an end this week. He went 46 consecutive scoreless innings, gave up a run in the first inning in a game against Tennessee, and then went on to set a career high with 12 strikeouts. Which is so, so Blake Snell giving up runs, gave up one run. His ERA, I think, is now .29 for the season. Uh, at AA, .17, I guess, for the season. He got a promotion there. Uh, pretty good, Tyler. I know you've, you've talked to Blake a few times this year. It's just like that's the most – if you're going to lose the streak, <laughs> that's probably the best way to do it. Like, well, I lost the streak, also struck out a career-high 12. Uh, not bad. Yeah, Blake Snell, I mean, when you look at his numbers, I mean, his peripherals across the board have been absurd this season. He struck out 66 and 52 innings combined between Class A Advanced Charlotte and now AA uh, Montgomery. Opponents overall are hitting 124 against him, and they're batting lower. The average is considerably lower at double-A than it was at class-A advance. It was a 124 average against for Charlotte. Opponents are batting 110 against him, more advanced hitters facing him uh, in the double-A Southern League. There's really no way that you can look at Blake Snell's season right now. There's nothing that you can parse and say, yeah, but he's got to work on this. I mean, right now he's in a role, and he's the ninth-ranked prospect in the organization, so people haven't looked at him coming into this season along the lines of a guy like Lucas Giolito, who we'll hear from later on in the podcast today. But you look at his stuff right now, there's nobody in baseball who's doing what Blake Snell has done so far this season. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting that, I mean, the big difference for him, he's always had some some really good stuff, borderline frontline stuff. It's just the command has been so much better. And you talk to him, and... He just basically shrugs it off as, yeah, I'm just concentrating a little more. That's right. nothing mechanically right. changes. Like, yeah, I'm just, just trying a little harder, I guess. Um, he takes humility to a new level, right, which I like. Right. <laughs> so far this season, it's a 3-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. He struck out 66 through 52 innings. He's walked 21. Uh, it's a 4-to-1 ratio at A. basically 39 strikeouts against 10 walks. And yeah, he's, uh, he's getting better as he moves up the, the chain. Too. It's not supposed to happen, right. Blake Snell. You're not ascribing to the way that things are normally <laughs> done. Uh, strike three this week, Michael Kopech uh, with the Boston Red Sox organization is now seven starts into his Class A full season campaign with the Greenville Drive of the South Atlantic League and uh, has 
has started to register some pretty impressive numbers uh, so far this season. Overall, in total, 2-2, two and two, a 2.83 ERA, but a very, very lively arm. A guy who, likewise, has been very, very good with his command. 30 strikeouts against nine walks this year. Opponents batting 218 against him. But like I said, a very, very lively arm so far from him. Yeah, he's a guy I'm going to be profiling him in the Stockwatch column that will go up on the site on Wednesday. And I talked to the, uh, the pitching coach at Greenville, Walter Miranda, and he said that Kopech is hitting 100 miles an hour now. With uh, He's done it a few times this year, and he's sitting 96 to 99, which is an absurd thing for a 19-year-old to do. It's a new thing for him. He in high school was a guy who was usually 93 to 95. He hit a few 97s, 98s, depending on who you ask and who had the gun on him, um, but really has jacked up the velocity and, and looking like a very different pitcher this year. The Red Sox have more or less overhauled his mechanics. He was a guy who... The book on him in high school was he's a guy who threw hard, had some projection left, had a pretty good breaking ball, didn't have to throw a changeup, and got a lot of reliever tags thrown on him because his mechanics were just funky, really, really funky. Um, and he's cleaned that up a lot really quickly and looks really good. He used to have a really, really deep drop and drive, which is where as you come up and you bring your knee up and then you go and you try to throw, you drop straight down and then go towards the plate. He smoothed that out a lot. He's lowered his leg kick. His leg used to, there's a picture I'm going to include in this column that you got to see. He used to lift his leg up to where it was actually touching his left shoulder, his left knee and his left shoulder would be touching. He didn't even go and throw from there. So he's, he's not doing that anymore. His leg kick is still pretty high, but, but more contained than that. And, and that combined with just being on the, the Red Sox strength and conditioning program, it looks from photos like he's put on maybe a little bit of size, has him sitting 96 to 99 working into the, the fifth inning of games. Um, that's, that's the kind of thing that, that gets guys shot up from. He was a 33rd overall pick last year. If he was doing this this time last year, he'd be talked about in the top 10, maybe at the top of that draft. Um, cause that's, that's really what got Tyler Kolek drafted that high. That's what I was just going to say. Right. I mean, you saw a guy like Kolek who came out and was a lot on his velocity. That was the reason why everybody talked about him and raved about him like he was this Sid Finch type of arm coming out in the draft. And if you would have seen that from Kopech last year, and I think you astutely noted there, the kid's 19 years old, and when you get into an organization and you're working with their strength and conditioning people, you're working with their nutrition people, you're working with their the ways that you rebound from workouts and from starts and all that kind of stuff, if he's sitting in the upper ranges of the 90s right now if he's at that register and he still has to basically grow into his body at 19 years old it's going to be a scary prospect uh, for the next few years to come 33rd overall pick last year he was actually the Red Sox second pick in the first round second overall pick last year uh, but check out the Stockwatch column this week because there's going to be a lot of really good stuff in it uh, from Jake and again if you're not reading the Stockwatch if you're not reading Toolshed you're doing your whole minor league thing wrong but uh, this is going to he's going to be a fun one to watch Kopech. Yeah, and he's, he's, I mean, the, the big thing now is just figuring out the secondary pitches. He had a slider that got a little slurvy in high school. The Red Sox now have him thrown a curveball that's I think is promising. The changeup is still a work in progress based on what I heard from Miranda. But um, you know, has, he's 19. He has time to figure those things out. Right now you can get pretty excited about a guy who's hitting triple digits as a, as a teenager. We're talking a lot of pitching today, and we've got one of the best in the business coming up next. Lucas Giolito from the Washington Nationals organization will join us here on episode number nine of MILB.com's The Show Before the Show. Pitching prospect, top prospect overall in the Washington Nationals organization, joins us now on episode number nine of MILB.com's The Show Before the Show podcast. Lucas Giolito joins us from uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, actually left from Myrtle Beach and headed back home yesterday. Lucas, what's going on? How was the uh, the sweet bus ride home last night? It was it was wonderful. Uh, I sat I sat in a seat crammed with uh, one of our catchers, Spencer Keeboom, and didn't sleep for the whole seven hours. Awesome. So. 
Yeah, it was, it was good. I'm just kind of running on fumes right now because I went to the field today to get some of my conditioning and all that. Tell us about, I mean, just kind of that whole lifestyle. We talked about it some uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. Uh, obviously, I mean, in your league, the Carolina Mudcats had the buzz accident two weeks ago. And, and it's mm-hmm. insane that it's uh, a world that people don't really understand, the minor league lifestyle when it comes to that kind of travel. But, I mean, you go out last night, you throw 78 pitches, you go five innings, a uh, good start, give up three runs and, and take a loss, but you're really third straight, very, very good start. But then you climb on a bus and you drive back to Woodbridge and it's seven hours and it's you know you're not in a sleeper bus you're not like sprawled out you're crammed in with another large human being for seven hours i mean tell people kind of what it's like to to go through your whole routine of a start yesterday and then hop on a bus and and make that trek back yesterday and then be up early to get some work in today yeah it's it's interesting because um this league in particular usually has very short bus trips we'll have like two hour three hour bus trips and those aren't a problem at all but uh, Myrtle Beach is, a long, is the longest one, I think, and not having sleeper bus for the Myrtle trip is is not very fun. We thought we were going to get one. It ended up that I guess the company didn't have one, so we had guys sleeping on on in the aisle and and like getting into crazy positions in 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 their seats and stuff. And uh, oh no, I mean I slept on I slept on the way there. Uh, but last night, I guess I still had adrenaline from the game or whatever, and I just wasn't that tired, and I just kind of sat there on my phone hanging out for seven hours. Is there a TV show or something you can watch for seven hours? I don't know if there's a bus that has Wi-Fi or anything, but what can you do if you can't sleep on a seven-hour bus ride? Um, <clears throat> uh, well, we always have Clash of Clans. That's that's huge in the minor league <laughs> baseball community. Uh, if you guys know what that is, that. that yep. <laughs> super popular iPhone app. Um, yeah, we're you know, very, I play, very I play familiar from following you guys on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I play a good amount of that. Um, I play a few other phone games. I got Netflix and Hulu Plus and uh, all that stuff on my phone, so I crush a lot of television and movies as well. Lucas, let's talk about the start to this season a little bit. Uh, you spent the first month of the season getting ready uh, to join Class A Advanced Potomac. You did so on May 8th with your first outing against Frederick. A couple of road outings, a couple of home starts so far this year. Take us through kind of your April and the way you got things started. And then when you finally were able to get into competition, seeing other teams, what's this last, you know, three, four-week stretch been like since you got into Potomac? It's been fun. I, I enjoy being up here with the team. Uh, I'm really good friends with with all the guys up here. So uh, it's definitely a lot more fun to be playing in, in uh, full season ball than, than down in Florida uh, getting ready for it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I wish I've had better results personally on the mound so far, but I mean, that's, that's part of the game. You've got to, got to learn and, and get better. I'm curious just what that experience is like being an extended for a month. I don't know if that's a frustrating thing or if it's at least it's nice to set you up to where you're going to be able to finish the season and I imagine not be on a, an innings limit or something like we saw with Steven Strasburg a few years ago. I'm curious for your thoughts just mm-hmm. on that strategy um, and, and just kind of what it's been like to, to come out and kind of just have to hang in, in Florida for a little bit there for a little extra time and then come and join a team once they've already played a, a month's worth of games. Yeah, I mean – it's 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 always frustrating to not break with a team, but I understand the process. I understand the reason why. Uh, Ronaldo, me and Ronaldo both did. We were on the same exact schedule going into it, so um, 
it wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, we, we came in and, and fit pretty seamlessly into the rotation and, uh, uh, into the team atmosphere. So, uh, not really a big deal. Lucas, last year, uh, you gave me one of the most interesting interviews I did all season after a, a game that you pitched with Hagerstown. And it's funny, if you look at your MILB.com player page, uh, like the laundry list of honors that you got last year with Hagerstown, uh, an organization all-star, obviously, most outstanding major league prospect for Hagerstown in the Sally League, most outstanding pitcher, futures game appearance last year, two-time pitcher of the week. And toward the end of the season last year, I would imagine that it kind of felt like you were going out and it was like plug and play. You were going to go out more than likely dominate, have a really good start. But you had one outing toward the end of last season where you said you challenged yourself to only work fastball change up and see how far that would get you. And you dominated with it. Did you last year toward the end of the year kind of have to set those little challenges for yourself, those little goals to continue to develop while, you know, pretty much having overwhelming success start to start against South Atlantic League competition? Um, somewhat, um, it wasn't just the fastball change of combo. A lot of it was working on fastball command, um, which is probably my, uh, I guess I would say like my weakest part of my game right now, especially, um, the, you know, the curveball is always there. I can, I can virtually throw that with two strikes to most batters. Uh, and I'm very confident in getting it out. So, yeah, uh, at the end of last year, I was, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was feeling a little, a little fatigued just from the entire year, and I just wanted to go out there and see what I could do with fastball changeup only. Yeah, Lucas, uh, one thing that I think is, is sort of a narrative that people have in mind with your career was, was last year coming back from the Tommy John surgery and everything, that the Nationals were uh, maybe not handcuffing you, but certainly being very careful with you a little bit, and that this would be the year that kind of the, the gloves would come off and they'd, give you a chance to move quicker and use more of your arsenal. I'm just curious how accurate you think that narrative and that assessment is and um, just how, if at all, pitching this year and, and getting up to Potomac is different than the experience of, of pitching last year and, um, you know, coming back from, from the surgery getting that first full season. Yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely more of a challenge. I, I'm, I feel like, I feel like I have a lot of stuff to work on, especially as I said before, with commanding the fastball, it hasn't been there. Uh, honestly, for uh, the past past few weeks, um, leaving a lot of fastballs up in the zone. That's why I'm getting hit around a little bit. So uh, that's my main focus to get to get the ball back down, throwing it at the knees, throwing it to both sides of the plate efficiently, which is something I kind of got into a groove last year in Hagerstown. And I was able to do that, uh, you know, start after start. Um, Oh, no, it's kind of taking me a little bit longer to find that groove right now. So it's definitely more of a challenge. Lucas, uh, let's change gears a little bit and talk about, um, you know, kind of your career before you got to be the prospect that everybody knew. Uh, one thing that some people might not know about you is your family has a, a long history, not in athletics, but in acting. Uh, both your parents are actors. Your grandfather was an actor. Um, tell me a little bit about what it was like, uh, especially in the way that it sort of has enabled you now to handle the, the pressure that I'm sure you obviously deal with as a, a top prospect in an organization, the media attention, these annoying podcasts, interview requests that you get obviously but i mean growing up with with parents who you know were out there were public personas uh and grandparents that kind of stuff what was that like for you and how do you think that that's helped you now gaining some notoriety for what you've accomplished already in your baseball career 
Well, first of all, these 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 podcast uh, requests and, and doing interviews are never annoying or a nuisance or anything like that. I enjoy doing it. Uh, it's fun. It's fun to be able to talk to you guys, talk a little baseball, maybe talk talk a little stuff non baseball related. But um, yeah, uh, not just the acting. Um, I I have two uncles that are authors. One of them uh, also also a screenwriter. Uh, they've had very successful careers. It's it's kind of just entertainment all around, and I guess I'm pulling, I'm pulling uh, my weight in the sports sports side of the entertainment industry so far. Uh, obviously, have a lot more work to do, but yeah, I mean, just uh, from when I was a kid, running lines with my mom. Uh, my little brother uh, is actually quite the actor himself right now 16 years old uh we'll see if he wants to play baseball or be an actor in the future um it's 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 been good to to have that side and and feel comfortable uh you know talking with guys like you or or public speaking whatever it is that's it's i guess it kind of runs in the blood yeah, another thing that people may or may not know is in high school, you were actually teammates with Max Fried, who was a first-round pick with the Padres and a top prospect there and was traded this offseason uh, to the National League East. So you guys might be facing each other in the same division one day, Max Fried. Um, I just wanted to ask kind of what it's like having relationships with him. And I'm sure being from Southern California, there are a lot of other guys that you've played with. I don't know if you exchange texts or talk to a guy like Max when he gets traded to the division and also – he was a guy who ended up doing Tommy John surgery after you had done it. I'm curious how much you guys communicate about that, just kind of what the, the lines of communication with people like that are within the minors for you, kind of what your experience has been with, with some of that. Well, Max is one of my best friends. So in, uh, in the offseason, we're hanging out virtually every day. We live pretty close to each other in Los Angeles. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when he, when he uh, ended up going through that whole Tommy John process, I was there to kind of – Kind of give him some some pointers as to as to what's good in rehab and and uh, to you know not rush anything, take your time. And uh, he's his recovery so far from from what he's told me is going really really well. So I'm happy for him. And uh, yeah, it'd be it'd be awesome to play against him in the future. Seeing as we're in uh, our big league clubs are in the same division now, but yeah, I I, I maintain relationships with. Uh, with a few of the uh, a few of the guys I've played with over the over the past past years in high school and whatnot, Lucas, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, I mean, obviously, with a guy who is who's familiar with the process and what it's like for these guys to go through Tommy John surgery, we've seen this seen this turn into somewhat of an epidemic over the last few years. Uh, from your perspective, as somebody who is in this day to day grind at the minor league level and seeing the way that your organization has handled pitching prospects, the way that other organizations have done so, what's your feeling on this whole Tommy John phenomenon that we've seen over the last few years? Because Everybody has a different take on it, and I think, you know, from medical professionals to baseball people to players themselves, everybody's going to have a, a different idea. But for you guys who are actually out there throwing every five days, do you think about it much the way the guys have gone down with this a lot at such higher rates over the last few seasons, or, or how have you viewed this whole thing? I've heard so many different opinions on it. Uh, it's hard to kind of formulate my own. Um, I think for me it was going to happen at some point. Uh, maybe if I hadn't have thrown, I don't know. I mean, it's all hypotheticals when, when you think about it. It's like, oh, maybe I could have lasted a few more years if I didn't throw a bunch of curveballs in high school or if I didn't 
uh, start pitching until I was 14 instead of 12. Uh, or, you know, you have the biomechanics guys talking about arm positioning and, and weight distribution and, and all that. Um, I'm really not totally sure. Uh, obviously, people throw harder now uh, than they uh, did in the past, I believe, and that from a younger age just because we have a better understanding of how to use your body to throw the baseball. So it obviously puts more stress on your arm. Uh, you know, I was 14, 15 years old throwing, uh, you know, up, up in up in the 90s and I was progressively throwing harder and harder and I was kind of uh I was I was big but I was skinny and I didn't have the knowledge of shoulder program and and all of that to maintain maintain all all that kind of stuff until after the surgery when I learned all that so I don't know I mean I wish everyone I wish there was like a surefire way to prevent it so no one had to go through it but at this point, it's it's not it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal anymore. It's like a year off, and then you're good to go. Lucas Giolito, the top prospect in the Washington Nationals organization. We're going to get you out of here with one more thing, which is our question for all California guys, because it it always is for me. You go home off season. The first stop, I would imagine, once you land from the airport, is In and Out. So, what is your order at In and Out, Lucas? <laughs> uh, I. It's funny. My my order at In and Out when I was. When I was like a uh, 13 year old after a baseball tournament was ridiculous. I was <laughs> so skinny, uh, tall, just I could house food no problem. It was, I remember exactly what my order was back then. It was a four by four animal style, which is <laughs> four patties, four cheese, uh, a triple, triple animal style which was three patties and three cheese and then animal style fries. Wait a minute. So you got a, you got a four by four and a three by four. You got seven different patties, all animal style. Yeah. That is incredible. All the buns, with all the buns, onions, lettuce, tomato, (laughs) all that. And then I would have the fries animal style, which is, uh, in and out fries with melted cheese on top, uh, grilled onions and thousand Island sauce. And you eat it with a fork. And then if I was really feeling hungry, I would also get a shake. Um, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was back when I could eat whatever I wanted. It's, it's not like that anymore. So <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah, when I go home and I, and I get, get my in and out, um, I, 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 I tend to stick to just a one triple-triple animal style, one fries animal style, and uh, maybe a shake. But okay. Now here's you got, the, so, it, you got it. You got to go with the animal style. I think they cook it with like mustard, and I don't know. They they do something to it while while it's cooking on the grill. It makes it kind of more uh, flavorful. It is amazing. The animal style order is amazing. And now we know that many years from now, when your baseball career ends, everybody thinks that you're going to go into a career in acting. Presumably, now we know that you can just go into a competitive eating contest and dominate, <laughs> and that'll be the future road post baseball for Lucas Giolito. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, maybe post-career, I, I won't worry about, uh, won't worry so much about my body conditioning. Who knows? It'll be, so, you'll be 600 pounds, but you'll be a champion off the field <laughs> as well. Lucas, we cannot thank yeah. you enough, man. This has been great. You're one of the funnest guys for us to talk to uh, when we get a chance to talk to you post-starts. And uh, thanks a ton for coming on with us, man. And best of luck the rest of the way this year. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate it. It's a good time always. Oh,
thanks to top nationals prospect Lucas Giolito for joining us on the show today. We're always big on plugging everybody's Twitter. You can follow Lucas on Twitter as well. He is at LGO27, L-G-I-O, that is for Lucas Giolito. And now we're going to switch gears a little bit. Headed out to the Midwest League in the illustrious hotel room confines of one Benjamin Hill, who joins us from Peoria, home of the Peoria Chiefs. Hi, Ben. Hi, guys. How you doing? How are things treating you in the Midwest so far? been uh pretty good it's been a been a whirlwind i uh woke up in new york city on saturday morning and was seeing a kane county cougars game that night and then uh off to quad cities from there and then off to clinton from there and off to peoria from there and so on and so forth so it's you know just keeping my head above water which has been kind of tough because we've gotten a lot of rain You'll hit the uh, the Peoria game tonight, then you've got uh, Cedar Rapids coming up tomorrow, and then you'll finish in Omaha, so you'll jump out of the Midwest League and, and hit a PCL game before you go. But take us through some of the highlights early on, because you've already hit a, a wide range of ballparks, an older ballpark and some newer ballparks, and there's amusement rides that made me have motion sickness on your Vine videos. And uh, But it seems like it's been a fun few days so far. Give us some of the highlights. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, uh, I started in Kane County, home of the Cougars, and uh, that was, you know, Saturday night and one of those Saturday night, Saturday night environments in which just everything is going on. You know, huge crowd, fireworks, a scout camp out after the game, you know, scouts watching a movie after the game, post-game run the bases with seemingly like thousands of people trying to run the bases. And, you know, the Cougars play on parkland. So like when the scouts camp out, they don't camp out on the field. They camp out behind it in parkland. So the whole environment is just really sprawling and expansive. And when you have a night like I saw on Saturday with a lot of people and a lot of activity, um, it was really, really a special thing. And, you know, Memorial Day weekend, unofficial start of the summer. It was the first time this year I felt like, okay, here we go. You know, we're, we're in the thick of things right now. So uh, that was a great, great way to start it off and really great ballpark environment. And uh, then I headed to Quad Cities and got rained out on Sunday, but still spent like four hours in the ballpark. And, you know, the big thing with them is they are going in new directions in terms of the uh, peripheral ballpark entertainment, you know, including a Ferris wheel installed beyond left field, um, you know, overlooking the Mississippi River behind it, which is obviously unprecedented, not just in minor league baseball, but in, but in all sports. So that's a, something that really puts that team on the map for sure. Yeah, you've posted photos on your Twitter feed of uh, of that Ferris wheel and also a video of some other ride contraption that looks terrifying. Did you go on this thing? What was this thing that I'm looking at on my, my screen right now? <laughs> no, they they have, you know, the Ferris wheel is obviously the main attraction, but, uh, you know, the, the ownership and front office keeps installing. You know, they're really hyping this amusement angle of the ballpark. And, um Oh man, I'm forgetting what that ride is called. I'm the spin of the right Quad now. Cities looks like. Well, that's what I called it. Oh, that, that was, was just your. Oh, I thought. See, that would have been a good name because they used to be the swing of the Quad City. You, they should have hired you to name the ride. Yeah, I said spin of the Quad Cities, uh, riffing on their previous name of swing of the Quad Cities. But I can tell you for sure that the current ownership group in front office wants nothing to do with that. Uh, swing of the quad cities era in team history so i don't think they'd reference it in an amusement park ride or pretty much anything else but it is the spin of the quad cities this uh smaller ride they have on the concourse which is basically you get strapped in and this spin around and around and around i think it's called a space ride or something 
having to do with space and anti-gravity and exploring new frontiers. But I think you have to be a kid to, to do some of this stuff. I would have loved it when I was 9, 10, 11. But watching these kids get strapped in and then just spin around and around, I was like, no, I'm not doing it. But I'm not the demographic. So that's fine. And then they are, you know, the purists might go to a place like Quad Cities and it's a ballpark, you know, that dates back to the early 30s in terms of, you know, there's been baseball on that site for that long. Purists might say, why do we need all these games and this whole carnivalesque atmosphere? But the way I look at it, the more people you can get in the ballpark, it's, you know, it's good for everyone. You got to keep baseball vibrant here in the 21st century. So it's a pretty unique environment in Quad Cities. One of my favorite vines, not surprisingly, was the one you posted from Quad Cities of like the 19 different hat variations that the River Bandits have. But there's been a ton of good stuff on Ben's Twitter feed uh, all week this week, which is, of course, twitter.com slash Ben's Biz. You can find him at Ben's Biz on Twitter. You can also find him on Instagram as well. Uh, and Ben, in addition to um, this trip so far, you've got a few coming up, but there's stuff going on elsewhere in the world of minor league baseball that you have already covered and touched on uh, on the site this week. And the biggest announcement was that the Savannah Sand Nats will be uprooting and heading to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, there's been a long-time battle sort of over the ballpark situation with Grayson Stadium in Savannah. Uh, there will be a new ballpark in Columbia that will welcome that franchise. Tell us about that situation. Yeah, it's now official. It's been rumored for months and uh, kind of a foregone conclusion for quite some time, but the Savannah Sand Nats are in the midst of their last season. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a tough situation because here we are in May, they couldn't really market it as their last season because it wasn't official. Uh, but they play in a ballpark that was built in 1926 and uh, really no movement on getting a new one. And they are moving to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, the way that worked out is that the ownership group that guaranteed to bring a team to Columbia, Hardball Capital, they also own the Savannah Sandats and the Fort Wayne Tin Cats. Um, no way that the Tin Cats were moving because they're in a great new ballpark. Um, but once it was clear that that Columbia would definitely get a team, it kind of became like, well, it's got to be the Sand Nets. Uh, the ownership group really did try for years to get a new ballpark in Savannah and then acquire another team. Then they would have acquired another team to bring that one to Columbia. But with nothing going whatsoever in Savannah, they just eventually said, all right, we're going to move the Sand Nets to Columbia and there we go. No fuss, no muss. I mean, it definitely makes sense from a business perspective, but it's sad because Grayson Stadium, where the Sand Nats play, again, it was built in 1926, and it seems like it'd be a miracle for affiliated baseball to get that back. So this is really the end of an era, and if you're in that area, go see the Sand Nats, visit Grayson Stadium, because uh, this will be it. Yeah, and Ben, another thing you wrote this week for the uh, the MLB.com Cut 4 blog, for the, I know you do a weekly thing there, on May 30th, Akron has a promotion coming up that I think is going to be of particular interest to children of the 80s. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what's going to be going on there. Yeah, that's the one I chose to highlight this week. The Akron Rubber Ducks are celebrating Goonies, as several teams are doing. I mean, that's kind of like a... Uh, not getting the attention of you know Back to the Future in terms of the 30th anniversary celebration, but Goonies is also 30 30 years old and it definitely has a huge fan base. And obviously the you know, the children of the 80s who now have uh, jobs or at least a lot of them do and disposable income are kind of into promotions you know celebrating the Goonies. So the Akin Rubber Ducks are giving away a bobblehead featuring Chunk from the movie. Um, 
you know, lifting up his shirt. And excuse me, it's not a bobble head, it's a bobble belly. Um, lifting up his shirt and doing the truffle shuffle. So it's definitely uh, eye-catching, a little terrifying looking. And as I'm telling you guys about it, I find that I'm lifting up my shirt as if I'm going to do the truffle <laughs> shuffle. But, Might as uh, well. Not. Get in the spirit. Yeah, I'm alone. I'm alone in the hotel room, so why not? I should <laughs> Tyler, just Tyler and I would, but we're in a, a glass-enclosed room with all of our coworkers around us. People wonder, what is this podcast? What are they doing in there, sickos? He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter, at Ben's Biz. You can read the blog as well, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can check him out on Cut4, and uh, if you are so inclined, you can find him as well coming up over these next couple of stops in the Midwest League and the PCL, culminating. Uh, what do you got going on the rest of this week? Peoria today. Tell us about the schedule coming up. Yeah, I was in uh, Clinton yesterday, Peoria today, Cedar Rapids tomorrow, Omaha on Thursday, and then uh, back home and try to make sense of it all over the next month and then go on another trip and repeat, repeat, repeat. It's the season. It is the season. Ben, enjoy the Midwest. Uh, there, you know, you're not going to find any healthy food options more than likely, so gorge yourself and then come back here and, you know, just try to sweat it out somehow. Jake and I are talking about it. It should be easy for you because the humidity here today is 8 billion percent, which it probably is in the Midwest as well. So, you know, you're getting acclimated. Yeah, I'm doing my best. It's a little rainy here in Peoria, but uh, yeah, I'm all for some weight loss. The older I get, the harder it is to do, and I think I'm going to be legitimately fat within five to ten years. Ben, have fun in Peoria and the rest of the trip, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, guys. You guys are going to get so used to me being in the office. It's going to be so sad when I leave here tomorrow. <laughs> Sam Dykstra joins us. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Hey. What's... I'm glad you're back for a second. Week. I know. I didn't know this was happening. We didn't even know. I showed up and Brendan was like, wait a minute, you're here? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm just going to pop in on random days from That's now fine. on. I'll just you're walk in the office. So welcome, man. Uh, we're we're going to talk about, we debated who we wanted to cover in this segment, but uh, Javier Baez of the AAA Iowa Cubs, last year one of the top prospects in the Cubs organization, has been raking again this season at AAA. Not technically a prospect anymore, but still kind of carries some of that status because of how young he is, because he hasn't you know stuck for a full major league season, was a late promotion last year. But Baez is off to a very, very good start. Strikeout numbers are lowered a bit from where they were last year. He's hitting with a lot of power. Uh, you wrote about him a couple of days ago. Tell us about about this season so far for Javier Baez it started late uh, a really tough start personally for him to the season but tell us about 2015 Javier Baez in the Cubs system yeah one of the things that's always gone on with Baez is that um, people have loved the swing they've loved the bat speed specifically um, so they don't want to touch him too much they just wanted to let him hit the ball as hard as he could and you know watch the watch the show from there um, but last year we saw him you know get a call to the Cubs he struck out a 41.5% of his at-bats. It was just one of those, you know, the guy did two things. He either hit it a mile or he struck out. And um, so they wanted to change that this year. And they sent him back to Iowa. Um, we know the middle infield of the Cubs is kind of stacked with young talent right now, so they wanted to let him develop a little bit more. And uh, after he hit two homers the other day, I talked to Iowa Cubs pitching coach, or hitting coach, rather, and he said what they really kind of harped on with him is trying not to kill the ball. I think what he said was, we don't want him to hit 800-foot home runs anymore, just 350-foot to 400-foot. Um, so instead of you know just letting Javi be Javi, they're trying to change him a little bit, reel him in, um, control his swing a little bit, and that's starting everything from batting practice to hitting off the tee to you know they're working with everything 
for him. And like you said, the strikeout numbers are a little bit down this year. They're about 24.3% for strikeout percentage. That's down from 30% last year in Iowa. And because he's not trying to hit the ball a country mile, the, the power is a little bit down, too. His ISO last year um, over there was 250. Now it's 211, which is still a really good number, especially for a shortstop. Um, so we're seeing a slightly different Javier Baez. Of course, we don't know what it's going to mean for the majors until he gets there. And uh, we'll have to find out when that's going to be. Yeah, you talked about the, the swing. And I want to ask you, too, just about the plate approach and the plate discipline. I know in conversations we've had on the podcast, we talked to Desi Wilson, who's the hitting coach of Tennessee, who's got a, a long history with Baez. And then in conversations I've had with Jaron Madison, the, the farm director there, they've been less concerned with the swing and more concerned with he has a tendency kind of at every level. He's gone where he's, you know, the double-A, triple-A, the major leagues, and he's expanded the strike zone once he's gotten there. And pitchers, pitchers when they're older and they have more experience, they're better at sort of exposing that if you're willing to chase a pitch that's two inches off the zone, off the plate they'll try to go three inches or four inches and they can do that at triple a in the major leagues um is there any indication that that's something that he's improving this year on top of you talk about the swing and, and some of the mechanics and swinging easier yeah well in that two homer game um one thing brian harper said specifically was that he laid off tough pitches right before that and maybe the 2014 2013 2012 version of javier baez um, might have been hacking because he, he just had a pitch to hit there, but it wasn't the best one he could have gotten. So he said that was at least, you know, it's easy to say in a two-homer game and praise him there. But he said in those two at-bats alone, he saw something a little different that maybe we hadn't seen before. Um, you know, the, the results are kind of in the pudding right now. 24.3% is still pretty high for AAA. You know, it's not, what you, it's not ideal. It's not what you'd like to see specifically. But for him, it's down. So it's a start, and they'll take it and run from there. Sam, as you noted in this story, uh, this is very notable for Javier Baez because he had a very, very difficult start to this season. Uh, toward the end of spring training, his sister Noelle passed away. She was born with spina bifida, died very young in her early 20s, and that really took a lot out of him. He was very, very close to her. Gave an interview with, MI, or with MLB.com a couple of seasons ago where he really opened up about that relationship. So he took a leave of absence and started slowly when he came back, and that's pretty understandable. But it seems like now the coaching staff has started to notice that he is back on. I mean, he's back into the groove of this. It's every day now. He's, you're never going to put that behind you, but he's started to get back to his routine. Uh, what, did the, what did Brian Harper have to say about that, the way that he's been mentally and how he's been at the ballpark? Yeah, well, first off, all credit to the Cubs, i got to say, for giving him as much time as yeah. he needed. I mean, I, I have a sister. I can't imagine losing her. And I, I would not be able to do anything for maybe months. You know, so they gave him as much time as he needed, and that was fantastic to see just from an outsider's point of view. Um, and I think when he came back, I asked Harper, was it more emotional? You know, was it tough for him to play again? And he thought he had taken enough time to you know, get that out of the way. And when he came back, he was ready to play. It was just a kind of getting back into the swing of things. Thing. You know, you're immediately thrown right back into AAA. He didn't have rehab games, you know, at Class A or AA. He just was thrown right back into the fire in the Pacific Coast League. And that will take you, you know, three, four games to get back into the swing and seeing – you know, plus curve balls and off-speed stuff and, you know, 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. Um, so it was more just getting back into the swing of things. If he did it on April, you know, 9th, 10th, 11th, we wouldn't have had any questions about it. We'd just say it's early season stuff. But coming off that emotional um, time for him, you know, you got to ask the question at least. And it, he seems to be okay now. 
Yeah, and, and the other thing with Baez, too, obviously, is he's one of many middle infielders, infielders in the, the Cubs system who's coming up and hovering around the major league level. Uh, I think you asked Brian Harper what he thought yeah. might happen there and, and kind of how he thought the Cubs might handle that. Why don't you just expand on, on where you think Baez is going to end up defensively? Yeah, uh, well, the thing is they played him uh, specifically at short and second so far this year, um, and he's made, I think, 11 errors in this first month, so it's not exactly been a great defensive month for him to get back. Um but, you know, they, they believe the tools are there for short. But, of course, Starlin Castro is there at short. And we start the entire discussion we had about Addison Russell, the same thing before. You know, and Addison Russell, he got the call up, and he's played at second base. He's been their starting second baseman since moving up. And Javier Baez has played at second. So who are you going to move over? And the obvious answer would be to move somebody to third, which is where Chris Bryant is. So you have to kick Chris Bryant out to left, which, um, you know, they tried him some out there in spring training. And... Uh, I know they started him at a game in center field this year, which made, had all, our, all of us scratching our heads for a second there. Um, I don't think he's a full-time center fielder, but a left fielder you could probably handle. Um, Harper was big on all three defensively. Um, I think he might have been pushing Javi Baez a little too much defensively. I don't know if he could handle third. Um, I think the better move would be to move Russell as a bigger, sturdier guy over to third and move Baez over to second where he's had – um, he's had more success at second this year than short, so I would think that would make sense going forward. But, um, yeah, it, it, they're going to have to see a little bit more out of Baez defensively in the next few weeks before they decide to bring him up. There are so many conversations about the Chicago Cubs right now that could end with, well, it's a good problem to have yeah, with exactly. all of yeah. those decisions that they're going to have to make. It's uh, If you're a Cubs yeah, fan. Yeah, can you imagine just the cool. offensive potential between yeah. the four of them? I mean, Castro has been an all-star. Russell has been one of the best, you know, middle infield offensive prospects in the game. We know what Chris Bryant can do. We've seen Javi Baez hit close to 40 home runs in the minors. And that's just your middle of the lineup filled in with everything else. And there's that that Rizzo guy. Rizzo guy, too. Yeah, let's let's completely forget him. He's he's not a prospect. A lot of good problems to have. (laughs) A lot of good problems to have if you're a Cubs fan. Sam, as always, fantastic work. Uh, Go check out Sam on Twitter, at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. And good stuff, as always. Uh, You know, I mean, this week, the... The stuff on the tool shed's really good. Uh, some stuff in there about Blake Snell, who had the scoreless inning streak that finally ended this week that we talked about, and uh, always good stuff. As always, Sam, great stuff. Yeah, I'm time. glad you're here for a second week. Maybe you I'll, maybe I'll pop third week. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'm just going to book a flight and come back only for Tuesday <laughs> next week and then go back home. If we could expense that. that I, think, I, think, I think we need to get a sponsor for the podcast before we can start expensing places. <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, American Airlines. Dear somewhere. Delta, yeah. we <laughs> have a minor league baseball podcast. <laughs> Sam, thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Last week after we recorded the show, we uh, went out to a place called Jake's Saloon. Very apt, very, uh, you know, very well-placed for the podcast. I had them rename it just for the night. Show <laughs> it was originally called like Ted's Saloon. Yep. Yep. No, we got to call this Jake's. And uh, as we were sitting there, I said, you know what? Now that we've shared, you know, grown adult beverages, this show is going to be an, an Emmy winner by like next week. First of all, I don't think they give out Emmys to podcasts. But second of all, I was totally right because fantastic episode. And I had, all because I of you. Not, I, I had didn't enough do. of those adult beverages that I actually <laughs> believed you. And, and my faith has been rewarded. We're going to get Emmys, man. <laughs> uh, big thanks, everybody, for joining us on the show today, especially Lucas Giolito making some time for us on an off day. Really good to talk to him. And uh, seven burger patties. Animal style, animal style fries and a shake. We got, we got to go get ourselves a four by four and a three by three when we get out of here. <laughs> it's probably good that Lucas Giolito did not just like congeal into a box of grease at 15 years old. Oh, 
Like maybe, maybe that's maybe maybe all the kids who end up with Tommy John. This is where they went wrong because they were going to yeah Indiana or or McDonald's or somewhere. Maybe and they that's just, what it was. Maybe maybe it was, we're we're solving the the Rubik's cube. Don't come, here. And, don't come and sue me for that in now. I'm not accusing you. <laughs> oh man, I hope the in and out staff attorneys aren't listening. Uh, we've got a ton of good stuff up on the website right now. Like I said uh, in the opening segment today, go check out Stockwatch, Toolshed, all those things because if you're not reading them, you're really missing out. That's some of the best stuff on miob.com. Uh, but we've also got one really really cool piece this week uh the chattanooga lookouts were host to brace hamilgarn who is the uh team photographer of the minnesota twins uh a few weeks ago actually but we put together kind of a photo essay of him last week it's one of my favorite things that we've had since i joined the site last year yeah and miguel Sano, like usually when he's on the field was the <laughs> shining star the, the most photogenic it seemed like him and, and bruce must have gotten along pretty well and he's was hamming up for the camera at every uh, every opportunity. It was pretty pretty entertaining. Have you seen the documentary about him? Yes, I have. Phil he's yes. he's so like yes. he's just very jovial. He's yep. you know in yep. front of the camera. He's got that big smile. I'm and very very excited for him and Kenny Vargas to be reunited and, and play together. It's going to be a very very fun. Uh, that's going to be a very fun organization period to watch yep. for a long time with all that yep. talent. But go check out that piece because that's one of my favorites. Uh, a week with the Chattanooga Lookouts, a kind of behind the scenes look uh, at them from a photo essay perspective, and uh, we got all kinds of good stuff up on the site right now and. And uh, a lot of good stuff to come as well. As and episode number ten of the show before the show will be that too. Uh, we, you know, we're not going to tease a guest for you this week, but we got some stuff coming up uh, up our sleeves, as they say, and it'll be sad because I won't be here for it. Yeah, well, it's too well, hot to be wearing well, sleeves, at least. So. Well, nothing, true. Nothing up the sleeve. Yeah, I'm going to go walk out into the hot bath that it is outside of New York City here shortly. Going back to Colorado. There's no humidity there, as no. I learned today. And it's been raining for like six straight weeks. I'm so depressed at the idea of going back to rain. Oh. Although the Rockies left you town. They took the want. rain with them to Cincinnati. Well, I'm just going to go get my Costanza desk. I'll just climb in and, and <laughs> sleep here. It'll be fantastic. Jake, we'll do this again real soon, man. Right, it was fun. Thanks, Good to have you. Episode number nine of the show before the show. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, and uh, check us out on the website. Follow Jake on Twitter. He is at Jake underscore Signer. I am at Tyler Mon. Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. Sam Dykstra at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B, and Minor League Baseball itself at M-I-L-B on Twitter. You can find us there and so many other places. And uh, thanks for all the feedback, as always. We'll talk to you guys next week.